Amen. Thank you, Faith and Kaylin. Thank you, Mike. Both great jobs, great songs, great thoughts. Amen. Amen. Go ahead and get in your Bible to 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4. I hope you never lose sight of how privileged you are to be here. Uh, if you just look around tonight, uh, I, I, there are not a lot of places where people even want to go back on Sunday night. Listen, they don't cancel Sunday night service because just the people don't want to go. They don't. They cancel because the preacher don't want to go. Amen. I'm glad you're here. I've been good. Um, I'm going to take a break tonight from our Sunday evening series in Bible doctrine to address a topic that has become prominent lately. Uh, though I generally plan out our message messages here. Uh, months in advance and think over them and pray over them to attempt to give you a balanced spiritual diet. Uh, I always feel free when the Lord would move my heart to break that and uh, preach on something else. And that's uh, what was stirring my heart this week. There is always a lot of chatter and controversy in the Christian community over issues and differences. That's nothing new. Uh, so that in itself is not enough to move me to change my plans, but there have been a lot of questions in the Lord's flock here, as well as a lot of chatter about what's going on at Asbury uh, University. For those of you who don't uh, follow so social media at all, uh, it has been what some have called a revival and a spiritual awakening. Um, on February 8th, a couple of Wednesdays ago, after the college chapel when one of the uh, students taught on uh, Romans chapter 13, um, basically uh, students stayed there 24-7 uh, to worship music and singing, and it's been covered by all sorts, not just of religious media, but secular media like Fox News and Breitbart, uh, they say over 50,000 people uh, who call themselves Christian traveled to Wilmore, Kentucky, near Lexington, to wait outside a 1,500-seat chapel to personally see and do what they would call experience this phenomenon. Because of the large crowds and security concerns, uh, the president of Asbury canceled the 24-7 services this past Thursday, which is interesting in itself. I don't know how a president of a university can cancel a move of God, but he did. Um, now, there isn't a genuine believer with a heart for Christ who doesn't long to see revival among God's people. Uh, if you're a knowledgeable believer, you, you understand the hope for America and the hope for this generation rests on the relationship of true Christians with Christ. See, we understand being a true Christian is different from being a cultural Christian or saying that you're Christian. But every Christian who walks with God, we want to see God glorified. We want to be personally closer today to God than we were last week. And uh, every true Christian struggles at times walking by faith. We struggle because we want to feel something. We want to see something with our physical eyes. And uh, this struggle has caused many people to leave what God has written to pursue experience, spiritual experience. In fact, the bulk of what we call the charismatic branch of Christianity, which 
certainly contains some genuine Christians sincerely trying to follow Christ, that branch has become more and more fascinated for decades of, quote, experiencing worship. They're more interested in that than what God has said to be for a long time. The fact of the matter is, much of his Christianity today in America is not only ignorant of the Bible beyond the gospel, they are ignorant of the history of biblical Christianity. Understand this ignorance starts with shallow Bible preaching and teaching by spiritual leaders. It's sad for me to say this, but this ignorance is prevalent in people under 35 or 40 because for many years, teen ministries and children's ministries have been entertainment and babysitting. By the way, let me just pause and thank God that from the day we started 16 years ago until today, our children's ministries and our teens' ministries have been focused on teaching the Word of God. But because of that ignorance, American Christians are spiritually vulnerable to be manipulated. Manipulated by man and much more easily deceived by false spirits. Because of that ignorance, American Christians are increasingly seeking what they would call a worship experience instead of responding to Christ's biblical invitation to take His yoke upon you and learn of Him. Sacrificial service to Christ and biblical instructions is different from seeking an experience. Things that are called spiritual experiences can come from God. They can come from false spirits. They can come from the human spirit. They can come from your imagination. And always, as always, there's really, there's literally, there's only one way to figure out what's going on for anybody who really wants to know. Is what's going on at Asbury of God, is what's going on there the work of fallen spirits? is what's going on there, the work of man. You can't answer that question by the number of tears you shed or the emotions that you feel or whether you tingle when someone talks about this or someone plays some kind of worship ministry. See, that question can only be accurately answered by how things compare to the Scriptures. You're able to stand tonight, if you would stand, please, in honor the Word of God. The title of my thought is Biblical Revival. Biblical Revival. By the way, I'm really not trying to keep anybody here happy. I'm sure there are people here, and you wish I would stand up and wholeheartedly promote what's going on. There are others here, you wish I would stand up and wholeheartedly condemn it kind of an interesting thing just in itself that there's such a division over what's going on. Interesting. What I want to do tonight is look in the Scriptures. 1 John chapter 4, verse 1. Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they are of God. Because many false prophets are going out into the world. 
Hereby you know ye the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. Every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. And this is that spirit of Antichrist, whereof ye have heard that it should come. And even now already is it in the world. Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Thank you, might be seated. It should be no surprise that as we read that there were many false prophets moved by false spirits saying false things to Christian people in the first century while the apostles yet lived, it should not surprise us to expect that there would be false prophets led by false spirits trying to mislead Christian people still today. The great apostle, in light of that, exhorted believers to, in verse 1, try the spirits to see whether they are of God. False and lying spirits are just as real as God is real. They're just as real as the Holy Spirit is real. And here, one of the tests that were given for recognizing a false spirit was to compare what was being said about Jesus to what the Scriptures taught about Jesus. Notice they did not determine who was a false prophet and what was false doctrine by how they felt. If you are trusting how you feel about something when you hear it, you're trusting the wrong thing. Jesus of Nazareth was God manifested in the flesh, and any spirit who said otherwise was a false spirit, regardless of how many people believed that message, regardless of how eloquently that message was spoken, or how it moved them emotionally. Now this is not the only issue or doctrine, so to speak, by which we recognize a false prophet and a false spirit. It's just the only one mentioned here. And we rejoice that if you're a true believer, the Holy Spirit of God lives in you, and greater is He, the Holy Spirit of God, who lives in you than any false spirit in the world, including the devil himself. And we walk away from this with a very clear idea that believers are supposed to try the spirits. We are to test, examine, prove, scrutinize spiritual messages to see whether or not they are genuine. Turn back a few pages in your Bible, please, to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. The same root word is try the spirits. Notice the instruction here we read in 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 20 says, despise not prophesying. Don't hate preaching. Don't hate people proclaiming the Word of God. Verse 20, prove all things. Hold fast that which is good. Prove all things. Same root word as try, to test, to examine, to check it out, to prove whether what someone is preaching or teaching is what they're supposed to be preaching and teaching. We are supposed to, as believers, compare what me or any other preacher or teacher says with the Scriptures so that we can recognize and hold fast that which is true. Test, examine, try, scrutinize. If 
By the way, I'm not implying we're supposed to listen to everyone we know with a critical spirit. That's bad and unhealthy as well. But I am saying that you and I will recognize false and true prophets by comparing their message with what the Bible says. Every true prophet is just a man and subject to human weaknesses and flaws. But God has always had and always will have true men of God, true churches of God, and true work of Christ going on. The gates of hell will never prevail against true churches of the Lord Jesus Christ. Go back in your Bible to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. We are to try the spirits. We are to prove all things, to hold fast that which is good. And in contradiction to the shallow statements by much of modern Christianity, we're commanded to judge what we hear by comparing it to what's written. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, beginning in verse 13. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able. But will with the temptation also make a way to escape, that you may be able to bear it? Wherefore, my dearly beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak as to wise men, judge ye what I say. <laughs> Here, you and I can't even know whether we're being tempted to do something wrong or what is the way of escape unless we're allowed to judge what's going on. You, you and I can't uh, know what is idolatry so that we can flee from it unless we're able to judge what is idolatry. It, it doesn't matter how many shallow, careless people tell us we're not supposed to judge. L listen, uh, we are always supposed to judge what we can see and hear by comparing it to the written Word of God. We're supposed to judge like that. Let me ask you a question. For those of you who know anything about Asbury, and for those of you who have any sort of an opinion, is your view of what's going on there because you tried, tested, examined, proved, and scrutinized the facts? Did you learn what the facts are? Did you take those facts and compare them to what the Scriptures say? Have you compared, tried, tested, examined what's going on with the history of biblical Christianity? Listen, Christianity didn't start in America in the 1980s. It started nearly 2,000 years ago with the Lord Jesus Christ. And you and I, as I've told you many, many different times, we are just a link in a very ancient chain. Did you try, test, examine, prove, and scrutinize the facts, or do you just feel something to be true? Or do you just want something to be true? Is what's going on at Asbury of God? Is what's going on there the work of fallen spirits? Is what's going on there of man, or is there some difficult combination of those things? 
By the way, if your takeaway from what I just taught about trying the spirits and proving all things and judging what we see in here and comparing it to the scriptures, if your takeaway from that uh, is spiritual pride to conclude that you should never trust anyone other than yourself, you're taking away the wrong thing. If your takeaway from what I just taught is spiritual caution, toward anyone in anything you don't know personally who claims to be from God, who has a spiritual message, if your takeaway from what I taught is spiritual caution when it comes to proving all things and judging what we see in here by comparing it to the Scriptures and trying the spirits, if your takeaway from that is spiritual caution, you're taking the right thing. You see, sincere Christian people, we desire revival and the glory of God. We desire to be close to God. You can't walk in one of the doors of Bible Baptist Church, but what there's a rock on the floor that says, pray for revival. We uh, say, so why do we do that? Uh, I want that by the door I walk in every morning so that every morning I walk into Bible Baptist Church, the first thing that comes out of my mouth is, dear Lord, I pray for revival. Let it start with me. Let it start here. Revive our region, oh God. Revive our state, oh God. Revive our country, oh God. Listen, a true Christian, if you have any proximity to the living Savior, you desire revival. True revival. So in order to try the spirits, in order to prove all things, in order to judge what is being said, we're going to do the opposite of what most people do. We are going to go first to the Scriptures. What do they teach about revival? Go to Acts chapter 2. Likely the most... Famous revival in biblical times, though where there were many, took place on the day of Pentecost. And in Acts chapter 2, when Peter finishes preaching, notice the response to him preaching the word in verse 37 of Acts 2. Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? By the way, what that means is they believed what Peter said. He said Jesus was the Christ. He said Christ died for their sins. He said Christ rose again from the dead. They believed that. God's Spirit convicted them. So now they cry out, what do we do? His answer in verse 38, Peter said unto them, repent. Be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for or because of the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promises unto you and to your children and to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward generation. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized. The same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. Did you see what happened on this great revival? The morning of Pentecost, 
believers in Christ were assembled together. It was likely Solomon's porch, which was a part of the temple. That morning, the special promise of Jesus Christ Himself and the prophet Joel was fulfilled as believers spoke languages they did not know and had not been trained in. Languages that were understood by other people that were there. And because they spoke languages they had not been trained in that were understood by people that were there, and that was obviously a miraculous thing, a large crowd gathered. And when the crowd gathered, Peter preached the Bible. He quoted and explained words from Joel, from Psalm 16 and Psalm 110. He preached the sacrificial death and resurrection of Jesus and made clear that Jesus was both Lord and Christ promised in the Old Testament. He preached the Gospel. He called for people to make a decision on Christ. He called for repentance. And about 3,000 were added to the church after believing that message and and following Christ in baptism. That revival was produced by the Spirit of God using the preaching of God's Word by a faithful man of God. It resulted in people being saved. It resulted in those people who were saved repenting and obeying Jesus in baptism and joining their church. It resulted in these new believers being taught sound doctrine by existing believers who knew sound doctrine. There's no mention of worship, no mention of music, no mention of singing. If that happened, God didn't bother to tell us. Isn't it strange how things God didn't bother to mention now somehow are considered essential? If we had hours to study this issue, we could follow Philip down to Samaria when he preached Christ to them, and the same basic thing happened in Acts 8. No singing, no music, no mention of worship. The same basic thing happened when faithful men took the gospel to Antioch and Syria. Let's read it. Just turn up a few pages in Acts chapter 11. And we could do this with each one of these, but we, we just don't have time to do that tonight. Notice in Acts chapter 11 in verse 19, now they which were scattered abroad upon the persecution that arose about Stephen traveled as far as Phenice and Cyprus and Antioch. What were they doing? Preaching the word to none but unto the Jews only. And some of them were men of Cyprus and Cyrene, which when they were come to Antioch, spake unto the Grecians, what did they do there? Preaching the Lord Jesus and the hand of the Lord that was with them. That's the work of God's Spirit. And a great number believed and turned to the Lord. <laughs> Then tidings of these things came to the ears of the church which was in Jerusalem that they should send Barnabas, that he should go as far as Antioch. Say why? Because they needed someone who knew sound doctrine to teach all these people in a revival sound doctrine. Verse 23, when he came and had seen the grace of God and was glad and exhorted them all that with purpose of heart they would cleave unto the Lord. For he was a good man and full of the Holy Ghost and faith and much people was added unto the Lord. Then departed Barnabas to Tarsus for to seek Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him unto Antioch. And it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people. And the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. Do you see the same pattern? Somebody preaches the word of God. People believe on the, uh, on the Lord Jesus Christ. The spirit of God works. People's lives are changed to such a degree that their enemies called them Christians. Little Christ's. 
They assembled together. They were taught sound doctrine. People lived changed lives. Same basic thing happened when Paul and Barnabas were used of God for an Antioch and Pisidia. The first great revival in the Old Testament was when Jonah preached judgment and repentance to Nineveh. Multitudes were saved. Thousands of people's lives were changed. There's no mention of worship. No mention of music. No mention of singing. Listen, I'm for worship. I'm for music. I'm for singing. But understand, they're not linked with revival in in the Bible. Is it not strange that things... God does not bother to mention are somehow essential. The second great revival in the Bible took place when the Jews returned from captivity in Babylon in the days of Ezra and Nehemiah. If you take notes, write down Nehemiah chapter 8, and that revival was centered around Ezra reading and explaining the written words of God. Now in that particular case, the Bible does mention them worshiping. It says they bowed down and worshiped. People responded to God's Word being preached and explained. The Bible says their mourning and repentance was such that the leadership said, stop, this is too much. It's the joy of the Lord that's your strength. People's lives were changed. They were moved. And then the next day, they wanted to assemble again to hear the Word of God. When it comes to revival, there's clearly two kinds. There's personal revival when we personally draw close to Christ in a regular and a fresh way. Uh, That kind of personal revival, personal renewal should be a regular occurrence in the life of every believer. Listen, we are not supposed to, as believers, go from mountaintops of spiritual highs down to deep, dark valleys of despair. The life of a mature follower of Jesus is not characterized by this and this. It is rather characterized by the fruit of the Spirit and the work of the Spirit in our life so that there is always a kind of a joy and a kind of a peace and a kind of strong confidence that causes us to stay renewed. By the way, one of the reasons you come back to church on Sunday night is personal renewal. I mean, God has ordained that when we read the Scriptures personally and hear them preached and taught, and when we take time to pray and talk to our Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, when we make the effort to live a changed life, when our life is characterized by humility and repentance, listen, we live a life of renewal. And whether you realize it or not, you're sitting in a place That by the grace of God has had a lot of personal revival and renewal over the last 16 years. But there's also a special kind of revival. God does from time to time. We read several of those instances earlier from the Bible. Revival produced by the Spirit. Revival that flows from the preaching and teaching of God's Word by faithful men of God. Revival that resulted in people being saved. Revival that resulted in saved people repenting to obey Christ in baptism and join a church. Revival resulting in believers being taught sound doctrine by existing believers that knew sound doctrine. Revival that resulted in these believers continuing to fellowship with existing believers in prayer. We saw it over and over and over again. Let me read 
to you in our bookstore is a lot of biographies. I, I, I wish more people read them. I wish all of our young men of God would make an effort to read a lot of them, but that seems to fall on deaf ears, even with our staff. Let me read from the autobiography of Peter Cartwright, who is an old Methodist circuit-riding preacher in the beginning of the second spiritual awakening in America. Here's what he says. Somewhere between 1800 and 1801, in the upper parts of Kentucky at a memorable place called Cane Ridge, there was appointed a sacramental meeting by some of the Presbyterian ministers, at which meeting, seemingly unexpected by ministers or people, the mighty power of God was displayed in a very extraordinary manner. Many were moved to tears and bitter and loud crying for mercy. The meeting was protracted for weeks. Ministers of almost all denominations flocked in from far and near. The meeting was kept up day and night. Thousands heard of the mighty work and came on foot, on horseback, in carriages and wagons. It was supposed that there were in attendance at times during the meeting from twelve to 25,000 people. Hundreds fell prostrate under the mighty power of God as men slain in battle. Stands were erected in the woods from which preachers of different churches proclaimed repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Is that not interesting? It was supposed by eye and ear witnesses that between one and 2,000 souls were happily and powerfully converted to God during the meeting. It was not unusual for one, two, three, four, to seven preachers to be addressing the listening thousands at the same time from different stands erected for the purpose. <laughs> Interesting. In contrast to the Hillsong pastor going out to get drunk. Let me read something else from the same old circuit riding preacher. It says, in making my way on one occasion to Mr. Moore's to my Sunday appointment, I got lost and was belated, and when I arrived, there was a large assembly collected. This minister was preaching to them, and he preached well, and I was quite pleased with the sermon as far as I heard it. When he was done, he undertook to make a public apology for a drunken spree he had gotten into a few days before. Well, thought I, this is right, all right, I suppose. But to excuse himself for his unaccountable love of whiskey, he stated that he had been formed by his mother that before he was born, she longed for whiskey. He supposed that this was the cause of his appetite for strong drink, for he loved it from his earliest recollection. This was the substance of his apology. I felt somewhat indignant at this. When I rose to close after him, I stated to the congregation that I thought the preacher's apology for drunkenness uh, infinitely worse than the act of drunkenness itself, and that I looked upon it as a lie and a downright slander on his mother, and that I believed his love of whiskey was a result of the intemperate use of it, in which he had indulged to a form of habit, and that I, for one, was not willing to accept or believe the truth of his apology, and that I feared the preacher would live and die a drunkard and be damned at last. Now I hope the people there would not receive him as a preacher till he gave ample evidence that he was entirely cured of drunkenness. And after I made these statements, I felt that God was willing to bless the people there and then and raised my voice and gave them a warm exhortation as I could command. Suddenly an awful power fell in the congregation and they instantly fell right and left and cried aloud for mercy. 
I suppose there were not less than 30 persons smitten down. The young, the old, the middle-aged indiscriminately were operated on in this way. My voice at that day was strong and clear, and I could sing, exhort, pray, and preach almost all the time, day and night. I went through the assembly, singing, exhorting, praying, and directing poor sinners to Christ. While I was thus engaged, the Presbyterian minister left. And there were a few scattered members of the church around this place who got happy and shouted aloud for joy and joined in and exhorted sinners, and they helped me very much. Indeed, our meeting lasted all night and the greater part of the next day. Between 20 and 30 professed religion, joined the church, and fully as many more went home under strong conviction and deep distress. Many of them afterward obtained religion and joined the church. You know, those match biblical revival, preaching of the word, repentance, deep conviction for sin, people turning to Jesus Christ, People turning to the church. I've got a $100 bill here. I just described what real revival is. I have a $100 monopoly bill. See, if all you've ever done is play Monopoly... And all you've ever seen is monopoly money. And all you've ever heard about is monopoly money. You don't even know this exists. God helping me, I've just made you aware of what this looks like. Let's compare. Facts about Asbury. Number one, there has been between none and very little preaching and teaching of the Bible after the initial chapel message. There's been no gospel presentation I'm aware of. Number two, there have been few or no people saved by believing and receiving Jesus Christ with a humble, repentant attitude. Listen, talking to Jesus because someone told you He loves you is different from being made to recognize yourself as a guilty sinner and crying out to Him as a Savior. These people exist who are saved. They are so few or they are just completely overlooked in any articles. In fact, the one, article, one place I did find a girl giving testimony, she didn't mention being saved and she didn't even mention Jesus. I hope some have been saved. It's just being underreported. Now, because Asbury University, which is a Nazarene institution, teaches that people can lose their salvation, can we even believe reports, if there were any, about people being saved? Facts about Asbury. Number three, the meetings are focused on music and singing highly repetitive songs. The meetings are focused on worship following this warped contemporary model of worshiping worship. Worshipping worship rather than worshiping God. Biblical worship is to humbly and reverently bow before God to decide to obey and serve Him. Listen, nothing in the Bible or history of which I am aware is linked with non-stop worship, music, and singing repetitive lyrics with no preaching and teaching of the Bible especially 
no preaching and teaching on repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. Fact number four, they have special services in areas where anyone over 25 is not permitted to attend. By the way, I do understand that most great awakenings very often were linked to one degree or another with young adults. But it has always been them going back to the Bible that their seniors left rather than going away from it. By the way, the Bible teaches that mature believers are there to help younger believers, not be a hindrance to them. Hear me when I say this, and you may not like this if you're younger, there are some kinds of spiritual discernment that you will not obtain until you've been in the Bible for decades. Fact number four. People have praised the interdenominational aspect of these meetings. Hear me when I say that there is no worship without truth, and there is no true unity without truth. I don't care how much someone stands up and talks and uh, speaks so loudly about love. L listen, there is no unity between some Roman Catholic who says that salvation is by the sacraments, some Church of Christ person that says salvation is by believing in Jesus and being immersed after you believe in Him, and some other uh, mainline denomination who tells you you need to live right, and some Bible Christian who says you need to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ to be saved. How do you have unity when you can't even agree on how you are saved? I read one report, and by the way, I spent a lot of time on this listening to people who are incredibly negative and listening to some people who were in, in love with it. One of the people who really liked it was uh, a Catholic. They call him Father Norman Fisher. Here, he attended, and here's what he said. You just know right away that God is there. Is definitely of God. Definitely of the Holy Spirit. And I'm saying you cannot say that with no consistency with the Scripture. I mean, how can a priest who doesn't have enough spiritual discernment to understand that he can't speak Latin and turn some wafer into the literal body of Christ and the wine into the literal blood of Christ, how can you trust the discernment of somebody like that? Fact number six. Many things are being said by critics that may or may not be true. Some of their criticisms I couldn't verify. Were some of those leading the singing and playing instruments homosexuals like they claim? I don't know. But I will say this, just because someone tweeted or texted it, doesn't make it so. Charisma Magazine, they reported this on uh, February 13, quote, Posts have circulated across social media showing pictures of the scene of the revival as you drive near. People driving in their cars to go take part in the move of God to see a large billowed cloud draped across the area. I see that all the time whenever there's a thunderstorm in the evening. Hey, listen, whenever people like Todd Bentley, Greg Locke, Rick Warm, and Kenneth, Kenneth Cope and Copeland are for it, chances are real good I'm against it. Amen. I begin with anything they're for with extreme skepticism because of their lack of biblical discernment and false teaching. Fact number seven. 
it is likely some true Christians have actually decided to pray more and seek God more because of what they think is happening there. I rejoice in that. But understand that when you, quote, seek God, and you, quote, look for a feeling or experience, and you have divorced that search from truth, you are opening yourself up to being deceived. So, preacher, what do you expect from us? What do you want us to do? Number one, I want you to recognize that not everything some Christians claim to be of God is really so. There have been and will always be false prophets. I want you to try the spirits. I want you to be spiritually skeptical of people you don't know well and events some claim to be of God. Listen, some of us have lived long enough to have lived through the alleged revival in Toronto in the early 90s. Some of us have lived long enough to have lived through the sham revival in Pensacola in the mid-90s. Some of us have lived long enough to live through the sham revival in Lakeland, Florida in 2008. And time will tell what's going on there, just like these other alleged revivals, whether it be of God or of man or of the devil or what part of which is involved. Listen, will many be converted? Will many repent to change their life? Will many obey Christ in baptism to become parts of assemblies of believers to be taught sound doctrine, change their life? Will many begin to obey Christ? L listen, it's too early. What do I want? Number three, I want you to grow to know the Bible well enough yourself to stop trusting your feelings and what you wish were true without getting the facts. Number four, what do I want? I want you to not be among the crowd who won't care about this warning. I don't want you to be among those who care so much about what you feel and want so badly for something to happen that you ignore this warning. Say, preacher, what do you want? Number four, I want you to not end up among the harsh critics who haven't made the effort to understand because you've only read the reports of harsh critics. But please don't be among those who fail to recognize that there are true believers in Christ who don't see everything like we do as independent, Bible-believing Baptist people. Everything you hear me preach, I strongly believe. And if you have something different that you believe and you could convince me from the Scriptures that it was so, I would change what I believe. I believe the Bible. But hear me when I say I'm not angry at everyone who disagrees and fails to believe what I believe and preach. Christ will sort it out someday. To preach what he want, lastly, I want you to hunger for ongoing personal revival as a Christian. I want you to hunger for true revival here and in the Lord's churches. I don't know if it's too late on God's timetable for a large-scale revival in America, but I do know that God will greatly revive individual believers and individual churches who humble themselves, who turn from their wicked ways, and pray for God to revive their life. In fact, if I were to script anything for tonight, it would be that everyone within the sound of my voice when we give an invitation that you would have personal repentance. 
That you would not walk out out of this room tonight casual and complacent in your faith. That you wouldn't walk out of this room tonight with anything between you and God. That if you're not saved, that you get saved. That if you need something that you need to repent of, that you'd change. That you wouldn't leave hard-hearted one more time from this place. That's my heart's desire. If you want to paddle the critical canoe all your life, go ahead. I want personal revival. And I want God to revive His people here. And listen, if there's something between you and Christ, you've not obeyed Him in baptism, if you have some secret life, if you're hardening your heart toward doing what you know Christ wants you to do, I pray tonight you'll get out of your seat and kneel before your God and make it right. You quietly stand.